You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. be turning your attention to the word of the Lord tonight in Luke chapter 15 and uh, I won't read all of the verses but the passage that we'll be uh, taking our, our, our ministry and, and, and preaching from tonight is from Luke 15 verses 11 to 32 and uh, it's the story that we know as the prodigal son or the lost son and uh, we're going to go through multiple things in the story uh, tonight, but uh, you'll, you'll just notice that a certain man had two sons, and one decided that he had enough of being home, and he wanted to leave and go his separate way, and he asked for his inheritance, and off he went. And the Bible says he spent that inheritance on riotous living, and uh, then he got to a point where he was desperate, his money had run out, and he had nowhere to go, and uh, he's, actually, he's actually eating from uh, what the pigs would eat, the slop. And then he finally comes to himself and says, this is, this is crazy. Um, I'm sure my dad's got lots of stuff back at home. If I could just become even one of his hired servants, it's got to be better than this. And so he starts to make his journey back home. And so... Uh, when he gets to the place where his dad can see him, amen, the, fa- the Bible says that his father runs to him and greets him and welcomes him. And uh, it's a, quite a story. It's a parable. Uh, it follows uh, the parable of the lost sheep. Ninety-nine are safe, but one is missing. And there's a search for the one. It follows the parable of the lost coin. There's ten and one's missing. And if you study that, the value of the whole ten has, has lost its total value because one's missing. And then we have the example of the lost son, and the value is it couldn't be valued. I mean, there was no way to calculate the value of a lost child. How do you value that? How, how do you even put a price tag on that? And so uh, that's the, the three parables that the Lord gives in chapter 15 of Luke, and so I I just want to go through a few things tonight with this parable, and then I want to end uh, with some some advice about praying, because uh, first of all, what, you know, what does prodigal mean? Uh, We we use the word prodigal, and it's kind of almost a mysterious word, uh, and the only time we really hear it used is to do with this parable. We we hear it called the prodigal son or the prodigals. And we hear that phrase. And it's in this parable. But the, the actual, just the basic meaning means wasteful. Uh, particularly to uh, regard to money. But it, it has to do with anything where the person's life has become wasteful. And uh, Jesus uses this parable. And he begins chapter 15 and And uh, he has 
tax collectors there and he's got sinners and he's drawing near they're drawing near to him and he's teaching them and all of a sudden the, the Pharisees and the scribes they're murmuring saying that Jesus is spending too much time with sinners that was their complaint and so he actually says I'm going to teach them how important that is through three parables and he uses the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin and then the parable of the lost son. And so all three parables are, are on the subject of recovering something that's missing. Something that's lost. Uh, uh, which is uh, the explicit uh, explanation of why Jesus is spending so much time with what the Pharisees and scribes call sinners. And he's eating with them because he sees them as lost. But he has one burden one desire and that's that they could be recovered and so Jesus's parable is based on a real life situation and often they veer off into some uh, expect a course of events in in some surprising ways uh, but he always uses the parables to teach us a lesson and and here Jesus is relating the situation of a father who has two sons and and one of them uh, can't wait for his inheritance. Understanding Jewish society, there was laws regarding how inheritance were typically divided. The oldest brother would always get a double share. You can read that back in Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 17. While the other brothers would get a single share. And that was, uh, was known back in that day as the birthright. And you see that. But when there was only two brothers... And in this case, the Bible gives us an example of this parable that there's only two brothers. And so the older brother would get two-thirds of the estate. And the younger brother would get one-third. And so in this parable, the younger son demands the share of his property. The share that would fall to him. And you can see that in verse 12. What, what he's saying is, I'm asking for one-third of dad's possessions that, uh, that I would ordinarily get when he passes. Now just think about that for a second. You're not, you're not dead yet, dad, but I want my inheritance. He's asking his father to give him one-third of everything that he owns right now. His father hasn't passed, but he still wants his possessions. And how many fathers would receive that suggestion well today it's like you know uh, you got one one foot in the grave dad and one's out and so why don't you just pass me over my inheritance now i, I don't know not too many fathers uh, unless it's from the father's perspective that he's suggesting it not too many fathers uh, would probably be happy with that request and, and and this is an astonishing request that he's asking for especially in the ancient world of that day. This is not 2024. This is, uh, there was a custom of how it was done. So despite this breathtaking and, and even insulting audacity of the younger son's request, the, the father still grants it. He doesn't say, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, I still got lots of life left yet. <laughs> You'll get it when the time comes. No, that's not what he does. He actually uh, reflects the amazing, 
uh, indulgence that God shows toward us, even when we're acting sometimes maybe selfishly or maybe uh, when we're not exactly where God wants us to be, yet uh, we're still asking for uh, him to give us inheritance or, or things into our life. And, and, and in this parable, he's kind of showing that God, uh, he's yielding what is his, even though it's well in advance of when it's supposed to be given. He even knows that the misuse of the freedom will have terrible results. You can be assured that this younger son probably didn't have the experience to be able to handle what dad was going to give him. And the possibility of it being misused was, was great. And the actual reason behind what he's wanting to do and why he's wanting to do it, he's not, he's not saying, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to invest this and, and I'm going to build a farm next to dad. No, no, he's already got it in his mind. Uh, I'm out of here. <laughs> that was his thoughts. I'm out of here as fast as possible. And uh, that's kind of the parable that's given. And so he gets his one-third of his father's estate and he takes everything he has, and the Bible says he goes into a far country. And there he squandered his property in loose living, the Bible says in verse 13. If you get the context of that, that means that he abandoned the Holy Land. He voluntarily put himself into exile into a Gentile pagan country where he could live loosely without being censured by family or the rest of the Jews. He said, I'm going to run away from home, and I'm going to run far enough that no one's going to be able to tattle. That's kind of the idea. He's, I mean, he wanted to get out of God's land so that he could live in sin and fund his sinful lifestyle by what he took from his father. But the Bible says eventually the resources he had were exhausted. And he had a hard time coming. If he had not spent what he had on loose living, and the Bible clarifies, you can study what that entails. It's not a, it's not a good lifestyle at all. He would have had maybe money to, to weather the hard times and get through some tough times, but no, he didn't. He, he, he made sure that he wasted it on a lifestyle that he would have never, ever been trained or instructed in. He had reduced to a state of hunger and had to subject himself to pagan humiliation. He's feeding the pagans pigs. You have to understand what that means to a Jew. I mean, absolute humiliation. Even to the point where he would have been happy to eat what they were eating. Which would have been another humiliation. And was willing to take himself into the pig slop himself. I mean, he had reached such a low state that... He recalled how his righteous father had treated even his hired servants better than that. 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, but I perish here with hunger. So he makes plans. You know what? I think I should go home. I'm going to go back to mom's cooking. And he says three things. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's verse 18. Number two, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's verse 19. And in verse 19, he also says, treat me as one of your hired servants. I want you to notice, very important to see what he says. I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just let me be as a hired servant. Even being treated as one of his father's hired servants would be better than the treatment that he had received from the world. That's what he says. I mean, he clarifies it. They teach us the depths to which our own misuse of freedom will bring us. Uh, these three things are... are, are are showing us what happens when we're bent on leaving God and things go badly and yes it seems like maybe for a period of time uh, amen that there's there's a, 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 a going forward and there's a moving ahead but then all of a sudden there's a humiliation that comes from an uncaring world and it seems to happen even greater for people who know better The farther we get from the Father's loving care, the farther we get from that care, the worse off that any of us will be. And our best course is to return to that loving Father and ask for forgiveness. And so the prodigal son, he's going to return to his father. And, and something very significant happens here. While he's still the Bible says at a distance, the father sees him. That means he's been watching for him. There's been a continuous, I'm going to watch for him. He has compassion upon him. The Bible says he runs to him, hugs him, kisses him. This is far from the humiliating re reunion that the son expected. Based upon his previous audacious and insulting treatment of his father I want my inheritance dad I'm leaving he can you can imagine what he thought he might get when he came around that corner to see his dad maybe something like I told you so I knew you'd be back all you got now is scars and heartache I don't know what he was thinking but what he was expecting is not what he got. It wasn't uh, based upon his audacious, insulting action to his dad. The returning son must have been astonished because he continues by beginning to recite his pre-scripted speech to his dad. I've got it all down pat. I've said three things that I'm going to do. And, and, and all of a sudden he starts to... You ever do that? 
you prepare what you're going to say before you get there? I get a couple nods, but no, seriously? Everyone in this room's probably done that. I'm going to say this, this, and this. And I'm hoping that's going to be enough to say, okay, come on home. That's, you, he's got it all ready. He's got three things ready. He starts and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. You can see it in verse 21. I've sinned before heaven and you. Number two, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is, this is part of the script. It's number two. But folks, he never gets to say number three. Number three is, I just want to be one of your hired servants. He never gets to say that. That's never allowed to be spoken. That's not part of the equation. The Lord doesn't use that in the parable. He doesn't allow that to be ever spoken by the Son. See, you have to understand what these scribes and Pharisees knew. They knew what the law said should happen. You can go back and read it in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18. I'll give them a little time to bring that up. I forgot to tell them. Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21. This is what the scribes and Pharisees knew should have happened. This is how it starts. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, he will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of the city, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Notice verse 21. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. This is what the law required. That's serious stuff. A son that won't listen is brought before the elders of the city outside the gate, and they stone him to death. And long before the son can say the third thing of his prescripted speech, I just want to be one of your hired servants before it ever gets to that. The scribes and Pharisees know what the ending should be. But the father says, that's not what the ending's going to be. I'm looking at this much different than you guys are looking at it. I'm looking at it much different than the world looks at it. He said, I'm going to put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger. I'm going to run to him and hug him before he ever gets to the elders of the city. This is what the response is. The first lesson is that the father will not treat the son as a hired servant. The younger son is still a son. I have a, a wonderful son. 
Do you think my wonderful son has always done everything his dad's wanted him to do? If he's watching right now, he knows that that's not always been the case. I haven't traded him in. I haven't sent him back. I haven't sold him on eBay. I have not done any of those things. He's still my boy. He's still my boy. And one thing you've got to know about your heavenly father, he's not trying to get rid of you. He's not trying to trade you in. He's not trying to pun you off on someone. No, it's the opposite. What the world says should happen to you, it's the opposite. He says, I'm running to you before you ever get home. I've been watching for you the whole time. When he's using this parable as a son, he's not just talking about males. He's talking about people. And the return of his son was to be celebrated. A fancy robe and fancy ring and shoes. And he said, we're going to have, we're going to have a feast. It's time to barbecue. Why? Because this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This shows us that God's reaction when he returned from his his life of sin he wasn't he wasn't trying to begrudge him he wasn't trying to put him on parole he doesn't reluctantly take him back no it's the absolute opposite of that there's joy upon his return there's an eagerness that you see in this story you see an excitement that my son was lost but now he is There's, a, there's usually at least one major lesson per parable for each major figure that's in the parable. What we have in this parable is not just the younger son. We also have an older brother. And the older brother can teach us something. Because the older brother is a representation of the church, of the people of God. He didn't demand his inheritance. He stayed faithful to his father. But now he has turned angry. Why should the younger, wasteful, sinful brother receive such a reception by the father? The older brother is so angry that he won't even go inside and party. <laughs> no, not having no part. I'm going to sulk right out here. Naturally, his father hears about it and comes to him. And when that happens, we discover that he's not just angry with his brother, but he's, he's also angry with his father. He's not just taking it out on the son that's come home. He's taking it out on the dad who's been so welcoming. Why is it? I never left. I've been faithful he points out that he's never disobeyed his father's commands, but that his father has never given him a celebration of a young goat and to have a celebration with his friends. And in contrast, his younger brother has devoured his living with harlots and he's wasted his father's estate. But when he comes back, the fatted calf, I mean the fatted calf, not a goat, now, I just have to be honest, maybe some would choose something different. 
But if, if I have a choice between the goat or the fatted calf, doesn't take me long to decide. And I don't mind goat. Okay, I don't mind it, but I'm just giving you my preference. Fatted calf, going to invite more people to the barbecue. And the fatted calf's killed for the younger son. The older brother sees this difference in treatment as a manifest of injustice toward him, and he's angry towards his father because of it. But notice what his father does. He does three things. First, he tells him, son, you are always with me. This seems to be a reassurance to the elder son that he's not lost his place in the family. His place is secure. Listen, you're still here, and I'm glad you're here, and your place in this family is still secure. That's number one, he tells him. Second, he says, all that I have is yours. That's because the division of the inheritance has already happened. The son, the younger son, already took his one-third. Everything dad has left belongs to the older brother. You know what dad's saying? Stop your whining. Your inheritance is secure. You got your place still in the family. Now, I'm kind of reading in between there. Maybe that's how I would have put it. He's saying to his older son, listen, everything that got left is yours. Everything. And then, thirdly, he tells him, it was fitting to make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Three things he says to the older son. You haven't had your place changed. Everything I have is yours. And why don't you just be happy that someone who was lost has been found. That's what he says. This is, this is the lessons, uh, the spiritual lessons that we learn from this parable. That you can be you can be a genuine son of the Father who is spiritually alive. And you can also be a son that's lost through sin. But the Father hasn't changed His view of you. What's that saying? What's the spiritual lesson? I'm glad for every person. That's in this church tonight. I'm thankful for every person that attends this church. And God loves you beyond our comprehension. But let me tell you, the ones that are not present, the ones that have strayed from the fold, the ones that have grown cold in their experience, the ones that have wasted their life in some way or fashion, it hasn't changed God's love one iota about them. He's just as happy when one of them returns as he is that you and I are sitting here tonight. Just as happy. It's hard for you and I as humanity to get that in our heads. We can, however, return to the Father, be accepted 
by him with great joy. He's ready and eager to accept people back, forgive, allow people to be restored. Aren't you thankful that he is a God of restoration? Hear me tonight. Everybody in this room has faults and has failures and from time to time may have fallen and may have made errors and mistakes. But even though you have fallen, the Father's joy is always upon yours and my return. The place is secure for those who don't leave. But the place is just as secure for those who return. I, 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 I need more than just a nod for that one. The doors of this church are welcoming for every person that attends this church. But the doors of this church have to be just as welcoming for those who have strayed for whatever length of time. Because God is just as excited about them as he is about you and I. This is the, this is the parable of the prodigal. Music come. I'll try to end it. There's a way for you and I to pray for prodigals, for people who have strayed. Can I tell you that two and three buildings this size would not hold the prodigals of this city? No. Couldn't do it. And what's so exciting about God is He's waiting. For the next one to come around the corner. So he can run to them. With open arms. As a heavenly father. Ready to welcome them. Home. Here's how you should pray. Remind your heavenly father. Of the covenant. That the prodigal once had. With him. Just as the Lord would go and secure that one lost sheep or search the house until he found that one lost coin. You need to pray and remind every prodigal that God's not in any desire to put people on parole and we'll see if you survive. Or No, 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 no. He is ready to renew the covenant that he's always had with them. The whole time. Pray for supernatural love. Not just love. Supernatural love. A love that will open and warm the prodigal. That they realize that they are still loved. No matter what they are doing. Let me tell you. It doesn't mean that you're condoning what's happening. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about a supernatural love that goes beyond where they are. That sees where they can be. The Bible is clear. He didn't start something in you and I. 
not to finish. And when he puts his hand upon someone's life, it is never taken off. Okay, I know you probably had a busy day. And you may be a little exhausted. But someone needs to let their voice be heard. Someone needs to let their voice be heard when it's said that his love for them it doesn't matter how far someone goes. It doesn't matter how long someone's been gone. He's still waiting for someone to come around the corner so he can welcome them home. Pray for a supernatural love, amen, that radiates to them no matter what they've done. Pray for grace. Pray for grace. Pray for an endurance to intercede. On their behalf. May take weeks, months, or even years. Never give up. God has never taken his hand off. And never will. Just like it was in this lost son. You can even pray for famine. I'm not talking about a natural famine. I'm praying that no matter what has happened in someone's life. They come to an understanding where the delusionment says, you know what, it was better back home. This is not what I expected. This is not what I expected life to be. It was better when I was back home. Pray for a holy hunger and a, a homesickness for good old-fashioned home cooking where the presence of God and the people of God can wrap their arms around them and let them realize, you know what, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Pray for a coming to themselves. Pray for a spirit of repentance. Pray that the prodigal will be able to receive God's forgiveness. It's never a, a lack of God wanting to forgive. It's usually a lack of people being able to understand that God will forgive. And so people a lot of times will hold things over themselves and not able, able to forgive themselves. God's ready and just to forgive. Bible is very clear on that. Pray that the Lord pours out His riches upon uh, people when they return. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about blessings uh, in their lives. It could be whatever case it would be, but God knows exactly what the person needs. And lastly, can I tell you, pray for the elder brother. What does that mean? That means pray for everybody that's sitting right here. That no one, no one would be judgmental. That no one would look down or up their nose at someone trying to make a return. Hear me tonight. Pray for the eldest brother. That realizes, listen, God's inheritance is it's always been here for you all along. Your place has been secure as long as you stay. But someone was lost. And now they're found. Someone was, someone was dead spiritually, but now they're alive. And pray for the eldest brother. 
pray for the church that everybody would open arms and be receptive of people that are prodigals that they have an opportunity to come through the doors again God take out a judgmental spirit take out a spirit that's divisive remove that from us God and let there be a compassion that radiates from us hallelujah that a prodigal is coming home stand if you would The Lord put into my spirit for this night to preach this message. And every person that's under the sound of my voice or everybody that's watching or listening online tonight, if you have a loved one that would fit into the description of a prodigal, someone who once knew God in a greater fashion and dimension than they are walking in currently, whether that's a, a spouse or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter, a loved one in any capacity, doesn't matter what it is, whatever the acquaintance was, whatever the friendship was, whatever the relation was, if everybody in this room tonight has someone in your heart, just look at the examples of this Heavenly Father. And how his approach was. But how our approach needs to be. Reminding ourselves of the covenant that they had. A supernatural love. A grace that's needed. An endurance to intercede. A praying for a hunger and a homesickness. A a praying that they would come to themselves. A spirit of repentance. Being able to receive that that repentance. And God would pour out his blessings. And the church would be receptive. feel it in my spirit right now God I pray for every person that's in this room right now God that has a loved one God that has come to their minds while I've been preaching everyone that's in this room right now that may have a family member of some relation or an acquaintance God that once Lord they knew you in a greater way in a greater dimension and God you haven't forgotten them you haven't taken your hand off of them you will not leave them nor forsake them but God I pray let there be a supernatural love and compassion that radiates from the church Don't let it ever be said, church, that someone finds more love and compassion outside of the church than they do inside the church. Let it be that the first person they call is you. Let it be that it's the first person they think of when it's time to turn. That it's you, the one that's been praying for them, the one that's been waiting. Amen. That 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 example of, of God Almighty just waiting for them to come around the corner. Would you just come and make your way at this altar tonight? I just leave it to you if you have someone that you're praying for. Someone that 
just pricked your heart and your spirit tonight that needs to know God in a greater dimension. Everybody that's in this room, that you have someone in your heart that I've been preaching about and preaching to you about. Amen. That the church needs to be an open-armed amen and open an open uh, uh, casting. Lord, we just welcome. Say, listen, we're not condoning what has happened or what you're involved in, but this is the safe place. This is the place where you can find help. This is the hospital, the spiritual hospital for your life and your soul. This is the place where you can be restored. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.